Hi everyone, welcome to Cancer Healing Journey Talks. Myself Sonali Modi from Community Outreach Team of Zenonco.io and Love Heals Cancer. We guide cancer patients on adopting an integrative oncology treatment approach. We help patients with our team of oncologists, lab experts, nutritionists and other healthcare professionals so that we can improve the treatment outcome for them. We also help in connecting patients with other cancer warriors who have gone through this journey to address their queries and we also share inspirational journeys to motivate cancer warriors who are going through this journey currently. So firstly, I would like to introduce you to today's speaker, Mr. Terry Tucker. He's a cancer warrior. I'm happy that you're here with us today to share your story. So over to you, Terry. Please start with the introduction. Sure. So I am uh, I'm the oldest of three boys. I was born and raised in Chicago, which is a large city in the United States. You can't tell this from my voice, but I'm six foot eight inches tall and I played basketball in college. When I graduated from college, I moved home. I was all set to make my mark on the world with my newly obtained business administration degree. Fortunately, I was able to find that first job, but unfortunately, I ended up living with my parents for the next three and a half years as I helped my mom care for my father and my grandmother who were both dying of different forms of cancer. Uh, and then I guess finally, my wife and I have been married for 28 years. We have one child, uh, a daughter, who uh, is a graduate of the United States Air Force Academy and is a member of the military here in the United States. Wow, that's nice. So what made you go for the diagnosis and what were the initial symptoms? So I had a, I was a, at the time, I was a, a high school basketball coach and I had a callus that broke open on the bottom of my foot right below my third toe. And being a coach, you're on your feet a lot. So I didn't think anything of it for a couple of weeks. But after it didn't heal, I went to see a podiatrist, a foot doctor friend of mine. And he took an x-ray and he said, Terry, I think you have a little cyst in there and I can remove it. And he did. And he showed it to me. It was just a little gelatin sack with some white fat in it. No dark spots, no blood, nothing that gave either one of us concern. But he sent it off to pathology. And then two weeks later, I got a call from him. And as I said, he was a friend of mine. And the more difficulty he was having telling me what was going on, the more frightened I was becoming until he just kind of laid it out for me. He said, Terry, I've been a doctor for 25 years. I have never seen this form of cancer. You have a rare form of melanoma that appears on the bottom of the feet or the palms of the hands. And I recommend you go to MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston, Texas and be treated for that. So that was the start of my nine year journey. So like how this news was disclosed to you and your family? How they took this news? Yeah, it, it was it was pretty devastating. You know, I was like everybody else in the world, kind of going about living my life, doing my job, you know, spending time with my family. And then you kind of get hit upside the head with this, uh, you know, this cancer diagnosis. And I remember when my father was dying of cancer, um, he had end stage breast cancer. And back in the 1980s, they didn't know what to do with a man with breast cancer. So they were kind of just throwing stuff against the wall to see what would stick. But I, he was also of the generation where men didn't go to the doctor. And I think if he would have caught this early, like we all know, that he very well may still be here with us. But unfortunately, he died very early. He died in his early 50s. 
And, and I remember, you know, I said to myself, I'm going to have, I'm going to do everything I can to prevent this from happening to me. I'm going to go to the doctor every year and have a physical. I'm going to do whatever testing he or she tells me to do. You know, I'm not going to abuse alcohol or drugs. I'm going to exercise. I'm going to eat right. I'm going to do all the things that we know we can do to prevent cancer. And I did all those things. And yet I still have this very rare form of melanoma. And a couple of years ago, I had some genetic testing done of all 88 genes that doctors either know or suspect cause all different forms of cancer. And I have no mutations in any of my genes, which kind of begs the, the question, why did I get this? And my doctor can't tell me. He's like, I, I don't know. I don't know why this, this rare form of cancer decided to affect you when you have none of the predispositions to have it. So I don't spend a lot of time worrying about why I got it. I got it. These are the cards that I've been dealt and I'm going to have to play them to the best of my ability. Yeah. So like you question yourself, why me? And like whenever this question comes to your mind, so how you deal with it? You know, I, I don't spend a lot of time worrying about why me. I, I, and this, this may sound really strange, but I think cancer has made me a better person. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't wish this on anybody. I, I have been through, you know, nine years. I would, I, right after I had my surgeries, I was put on a drug called interferon to just basically help the disease from coming back. And I took a weekly interferon injection for almost five years. And the side effects of that injection were I had the flu. I had flu-like symptoms for two to three days every week after I took each shot. And think about that. I mean, I had the flu every week for five years. And that was not a cure. That was just to keep the disease from coming back. Or as my doctor used to say, we're kicking the can down the road. You know, we're trying to buy you more time until we have more therapies that could potentially help you. And, you know, when the, disease, when the, the interferon was stopped in 2017, the disease came back almost immediately. And in 2018, I had my left foot amputated. The disease came back again in 2019, which, and it kind of worked its way up my leg into my shin. And I had two more surgeries. And then last year, an undiagnosed tumor kind of in my ankle area grew large enough that it fractured my tibia, my shin bone. And my only recourse right in the middle of this pandemic was to have my left leg amputated. And I also found out I had tumors in my lungs. So I wouldn't wish this on, on anybody, but it's just been something that's like, these are the cards that I've been dealt and I've got to play them. You know, I, I don't have a choice. I, th this is my life. I have to live it to the best of my ability. Yes. So like what treatment you underwent? So I, I mentioned the, the surgeries that I had and then the interferon. Right now, uh, I am on a clinical trial drug uh, of, a, of a drug that's designed to, um, you know, to, to try to shrink these tumors in my lungs. It's not going to save my life. It has shrunk the tumors somewhat but um, it's, it's not about 30%. So 70% of the tumors are still there. So I, I'm, I'm, it's not gonna save my life, but the way I look at it is, it may save somebody else's life. The, the testing that the doctors do with me, the, the blood tests they take all the time, the, the scans that they take and things like that, 
that that may help them to develop a better drug that saves somebody else's life down the road. And I'm okay with that. I mean, I, I kind of look at this as something that's bigger than me, you know, that if, if I can make a difference in somebody else's life that I don't even know, you know, that I won't even know that person, I'll be dead and buried by the time that happens. That's okay. That'll, that'll give my life a little bit more of a meaning. So right now I'm on this drug. I started on chemotherapy for the tumors in my lungs. And when I was able, I was switched to this, this kind of two drug cocktail for these tumors in my lungs. And like I said, hopefully it's going to make a difference in somebody else's life, but it, it's, it's probably not going to save my life. Yes. So like you went through chemotherapy and we all know that it is a very tough process. So like share your experience about how you coped with it and what the difficulties you faced during the treatment. I, I, it's a, it's, it's a very hard treatment on me. It, it uh, I go, it's kind of a three-week cycle. So I go to the hospital every day, Monday through Friday, uh, and I have the drug infused, the two drugs infused uh, over the course of a couple hours. And then about two hours after the infusion, I react fairly violently. I, I throw up, I shake really, it's kind of like you're, you're chilled, but kind of multiply that by like 20. It's, it, I, I shake uh, I have a fever, I have a headache, uh, I have body aches and things like that. And that's every day. And, and they try to give me medications to, to mitigate those symptoms. They don't work very well, to be honest with you. I, I, I react this way because of the five years that I was on the interferon drug, or at least that's what my doctor suspects, because other people are taking this drug too. Well, and they, they, do not, they do not react this way. They do, they do not react this violently um, because they didn't take interferon back, back five years ago. So it's, you know, I, I'm sort of a product of, of the drugs that I've taken before. And so it, it's just something I, I have to deal with. And then I get, I get two weeks off to have my blood counts come back to rest and do things like that. And in, in all honesty, I go back again to what I learned from my father's cancer. Um, he worked up to two weeks before he died. And I think it's important for all of us going through cancer that we have a purpose and that purpose be something outside of cancer. You know, I mean, we can get caught up in this, you know, oh, you know, I, I've got cancer and, you know, this is terrible and stuff like that. We have to have a purpose. We have to have something bigger than ourselves that's outside of cancer. And, and for me, it's, it's doing things like this. It's being part of, of podcasts and kind of telling my story and hopefully helping people. For my dad, he was in real estate and, and that's something he did. And, and I think it was very important for him to have that. If we, if we just focus on how bad our lives are, you know, we can get really down. I, I, I remember a saying that said that Pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. You know, we're all going to experience pain in our lives. And it doesn't have to be cancer pain. You know, I mean, you could flunk a test at school or break up with your boyfriend or your girlfriend or not get the promotion at work that you think you deserve. Pain is inevitable. Suffering is optional. Suffering is what you do with that pain. Do you use it to make you a stronger and more determined individual? Or do you wallow in it and feel sorry for yourself and want people to feel sorry for you. 
it's a choice. This is totally a choice that's up to you. Do you want to become a stronger person and use that pain? Or do you want to make the choice to feel sorry for yourself? If you feel sorry for yourself, your life is going to be pretty pathetic and you're, you're always going to be down. But if you take that pain and use it to make you stronger, you're going to have some really good days. Yeah, very well said, Terry. Because if we use our pain, then we will come out even stronger. Yeah. So did you try any alternative treatment? Uh, I, I didn't. I mean, I, I did and I didn't. I, I mean, there are certain things that I that I learned. One of the um, techniques or one, one of the tests that my doctor used to do was a PET scan. And that was injecting radioactive sugar into my body with the understanding that cancer cells have a higher metabolism than do the rest of your cells. So the cancer cells will pick up the radioactive sugar at a higher rate and you'll be able to see it and you'll see where the cancer is. And so I kind of figured, well, if that's the case, maybe I should stay away from sugar. You know, so one of the things I try to do is limit. And, you know, certainly here in the United States, I mean, everything we eat, certainly everything we buy at the grocery store, a lot of the things we do is loaded with sugar. So I just try not to add to any of that sugar. I try to eat fruits and vegetables every morning before breakfast. I have a, um, a, a glass of warm water with um, a, an organic lemon. I, I squeeze lemon juice in it and a teaspoon of cayenne pepper uh, to kind of help flush out a lot of the toxins and stuff like that that are in my body. Um, I, there are certain things that I've wanted to do. I wanted to do um, high dose vitamin C therapy, but I have a really good um, oncology pharmacist. And so whenever I want to do something, I always go to her and I'm like, look, I want to do this. What do you think? And she'll research it. And for the, for the vitamin C, she was like, no, we don't want you to do that because it's going to counteract the drug that you're on. So it's like, okay, I can't do that. Then there were, I read somewhere about uh, DHA, which is a fish oil that's supposedly good for your heart. And I, and I read about some scientists in Portugal who had, were doing experiments where the DHA was being taken up by the cancer cells and acted kind of like a Trojan horse where it, where it killed the, the, the cancer cells. And I said, hey, I'd like to, to do that. And she went and researched it and said, no, you, you're on a blood thinner and this DHA will, could cause bleeding and we don't want you to be exposed to any more bleeding. So I've tried some things or wanted to try some things, but the, the science sort of got in the way of me doing it. And I'm glad that you know, I have an oncologist you know, in the pharmacy area that can tell me that. It's like, no, don't do this and here's why. Okay, that makes sense. I mean, it's not just, no, we don't want you to do it there's a reason, you know, that it could harm me if I did it. So I, I, most of my treatment has been traditional, but I have tried some other things and, you know, I, it's been nine years going on 10 years now and nobody expected me to be here at this point in time. Yeah. So what lifestyle changes did you actually made during, after the treatment? I mean, I haven't worked in nine years. That's been very difficult for me. I mean, I've always been an active person. I was a police officer uh, for many years before I got sick. I, I mentioned I was a basketball coach and things like that. So I've always been an active individual. And now I'm, I'm in a wheelchair and I'm, I'm learning to walk all over again, having lost my leg. And 
that's been that's been very difficult. Um, our daughter recently got married, and and I was able to walk her down the aisle. It, it it wasn't pretty, and it was very slow, but I was at least able to do that. So you know, your whole life transfers. You know, when 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 these kind of things happen to you, you you have to live in a different way. I mean, you try to have as much normalcy as you possibly can. But the, the bottom line is it's it's different. I, re, regardless of what you want to think and regardless of what you try to do, your life is different and you have to adapt to that difference. And as I said, you know, it's how you use the, that pain, how you use that difficulty. Do you use it to make you a stronger person or do you, you know, feel sorry for yourself? And, and, and don't get me wrong. I mean, I, I'm a human being. I, I'm not some Superman or anything like that. I have bad days. There are days that I cry. There are days that I get down. There are days that I get depressed. I just choose not to stay in that mode for very long. You know, and again, I think it goes back to a lot of us making the choice to live with this and live the best life that we can, as opposed to, oh, you know, woe is me. Look what happened to me. Everybody feels sorry for me. I, I don't feel sorry for people. I mean, I've had people come up to me and tell me, you know, Terry, I could never do what you did. I could never go through what you went through. And I kind of look at them and say, yeah, you're right. You couldn't because you've already decided up here that you can't do that. Why would you even start if you've already defeated yourself? Why, you know, so much of our life goes on between our ears. And same thing with cancer. You know, if people think they can't do it, they're not going to do it. But if you can see yourself being successful, if you can see yourself living with cancer, then you can do it. Yes, absolutely. Because having a positive mindset uh, should uh, be the ultimate focus of cancer patients and of all people. Because nowadays, people don't focus much on small things in their life. They are, keep, they are running after things which won't, means, which won't fetch them the result they were craving for. And at the end of the day, when you look back, you will see that it's the small things that matters the most. It really is. And, you know, I, I know certainly here in the United States, we're always looking to blame. You know, people don't want to take responsibility for their own success and happiness. You know, whenever something goes wrong, we want to look for something or someone to blame. You don't want to blame our parents or our status in life or our boss or, you know, our whatever it doesn't do any good to blame anybody. You need to take responsibility for your own success and happiness because the world doesn't owe you anything. Absolutely nothing whatsoever. If you want something in life, if you want to, you know, have this job or, you know, live with cancer or whatever it is, you've got to make the conscious decision to go after it and do it because the world's not going to, it's not going to do it for you. And, and life makes it very easy for us to quit, for us to give up, you know, the least amount of resistance, you know, as soon as we, we butt up against something that's a little difficult, we're like, oh, no, no, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not, you, you have to bust through that. You have to get through that because you can, I mean, it, it, you're, you're absolutely right. Everything I've always said, everything we need to be successful in life is already inside us. We just need to find it and pull it out and use it to our benefit. Yeah, absolutely. So how did you manage your emotional well-being? Uh, that, that's a great question. I think that's probably an ongoing 
thing. I, I mean, like I said, I I have bad days. I, I was in treatment last week and I I found myself on a Wednesday sitting in this dark room, just feeling horrible. And I just started, I started to cry. And I had a nurse come in and literally just, she didn't say anything. She just put her arm around me, you know, and I was like, okay, all right, that's all I needed. I, that, that made me feel better. That just made me feel connected to another human being, because I, I think we, we quickly learn. I, I've always said that one of the things that's gotten me through this is what I call my three F's, and that's faith, family, and friends. And you really find out, and I'm sure your audience of cancer patients would agree, you really find out who your, your friends are when you get a terminal diagnosis like this. Absolutely. Because, yeah, I, I mean, people are like, Ooh, I don't know if I can handle it. I, I mean, I have I have neighbors that are super individuals, but anytime I bring up, you know, cancer, anytime I bring up talking about dying or anything like that, nope, they don't want to hear about it. They, they just totally disengage and move away. And I, when I found out I had these, you know, tumors in my lungs and I was going to have to have my leg removed, I went to the mortuary, I went to the cemetery, I went to the church. And I planned my own funeral and I got some brushback from people from that. They were like, you know, don't you think that's kind of defeatist? And, you know, and I kind of looked at them like, well, last time I checked, everybody's going to die. I don't think anybody's working on a cure for life right now. So, you know, I was just kind of like, no, you, you know, everybody dies, but not everybody really lives. And if you go out and you live your life, you do the best you can, you know, you find your purpose in life and you live that, if you do that, death isn't nearly as scary as the people who just kind of muddle through life. And then at the end of their life, like, wait a minute, no, I want another month or another year or whatever. Sorry, by then it's too late. Yes. So what do people need to expect when they get this cancer type? That their life is going to change. I mean, as, as much as you like to try to, to keep your life in a normal, you know, this is the way it was, that's the way I want it to be. Bottom line is, it's, it's not. And I, I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday who uh, is in a wheelchair, not through cancer, but through a spinal thing. And, and he made the comment, and, and I've said this, I, or I've thought this a million times, I wish there was just a time when I knew I didn't have to go to a doctor, when I knew I didn't have to go for treatment or something like that. And, and I feel that all the time. It's like, gee, I wish I had six months where I didn't have to see a doctor, where I didn't have to go to the hospital, where I didn't have to talk to a nurse as part of this study who called me every week and want to know how I'm doing and stuff. I, I just want to go away from that. But unfortunately, that's my new normal. My new normal is to spend a lot of time at the hospital to spend a lot of time with, you know, doctors and nurses and, and people that are trying to help me. And I made a conscious decision early on when I got cancer that I was not going to take it out, no matter how bad of a day I was having, I was never going to take that out on a doctor or a nurse or a technician or somebody that was trying to help me. It wasn't their fault. I got cancer. It's nobody's fault. It just happened. It's not their fault. So why would I, you know, blame them or get mad at them or, you know, or, or lash out at them? It's not their fault. They're trying to help me. And again, that, that's a choice. That's a choice you make. And, and I've seen people that are 
that are bitter and, you know, and depressed and, and they project that onto other people. And all that does is just bring other people down with you. So, so don't do that. Your life is going to change, except it's going to change. Realize that you're in control of a lot of it, but there's a lot that you're not in control of. And you have the decision. You know, I mean, I know when my, <clears throat> when I got the tumors in my lungs, my doctor said, you know, I want to put you on chemotherapy. And I was like, is it going to save my life? And he's like, probably not, but it's going to buy you some more time. And I was like, you know what? I was eight years into this fight. And I'm like, I don't think I want to do that. But I'll go home and I'll talk to my family about it. And so I go home and it's just my wife and daughter and I. And I, I start telling them what's going on. And my daughter immediately is like, okay, we got to have a family meeting. I'm like, family meeting? There's three of us. You know, I mean, what, what do we need a family meeting for? We just sit here and talk. And so we sat around the kitchen table and we talked about how we felt about this whole thing. And then my daughter's like, okay, let's take a vote. How many people want dad to have chemotherapy? And, you know, my, my daughter's hand goes up and my wife's hand goes up. I'm like, wait a minute, how did I lose this? You know, how did I get outvoted from my family? But I remembered when I was back in the police academy, the defensive tactics instructor used to have us bring a photograph of the people we love the most to class. And we were to look at that photograph as we were learning new techniques because he reasoned that you would fight harder for the people you love than you will fight for yourself. And I think that's true in cancer. You know, where you may want to give up, there are other people that are involved. It's not just you. There are a whole other group of people. I mean, it's like throwing the stone into the, into the pond. You know, the ripple effect of who your yeah. life touches, you know, is, is, very, is very important. So, you know, I was like, okay, I'll do chemotherapy because I love my family more than I love myself. Absolutely. So what were the things that helped you and made you happy on this journey? Certainly my family. I, 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 there's absolutely, you know, I, I, even when I was a policeman, you know, people after work, it's like, you know, let's go out to the bar. And, uh, no, I want to go home. I want to spend time with my family. That's, that, that was what energized me. That's what helped me to decompress. That's what gives me, you know, a purpose in life. So I, I, I love my family. So my family certainly has been one. My faith in God, I have, I have a very strong faith in God. I, I've had people ask me, you know, do you blame God because you got cancer? I said, no, I don't think God got up on a Tuesday morning and checked his to-do list and said, ah, Terry Tucker's going to get cancer today. No, I don't think that happened at all. I, I think that's, that's kind of ridiculous. But, you know, I, 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 my faith has certainly gotten me through this. It's given me the strength at times when I didn't think I could go further, my family, and, and then my friends. And I, I always kind of tell the story, and I know I've, I've done this, you may have done it too, that, you know, whenever somebody's going in, you know, for surgery or for chemotherapy or something like that, you know, people always say, hey, you know, if you need anything, let me know. Well, well guess what? I don't have time to let you know how you can help me. The same things that you need to do at your house, you know, take out the garbage, you know, go to the grocery store, take the dog for a walk, take the kids to school. Those are the same things that I need to do at my house. So don't ask me what I need to do. You know what I need to do. You know, there's the same things that you have to do. And I remember after I had my first surgery, I had a friend of mine who was well in his 90s at this time. He had been in World War II. And I, I, I did not have to stay in the hospital after my first surgery. I did after my second. 
And he, I'd been home about 20 minutes and he calls me and he's like, Terry, I know, I know you just got home. Can I come over for just five minutes? And his name was Bud. And I said, sure, Bud, come on over. And within about 15 minutes, here's my 95 year old friend standing in our living room with a fully cooked chicken and a pan of cream cheese Danish that he had bought at the store. And he's like, here, you have dinner for tonight and you have breakfast for tomorrow. He didn't say, how can I help you? Or, you know, if you need anything, call me. He got involved. You know, I always acquainted to, it's kind of like you're standing on the sidelines and you're trying to pretend you're playing in the game. You're not. You know, if you want to play in the game, then get involved. Do something that, just tell the person, hey, I'm going to go to the grocery store. I'm going to pick you up some bread and milk and eggs and things that we all need. Or I'm going to take your kids to school tomorrow or something like that. Get involved in people's lives. Help them out. Don't wait for them to tell you what to do. Absolutely. So like every crisis in life teaches you a particular lesson. So what life lessons has this cancer journey taught you? It, it, I'll, I'll give you what I call my four truths. And these, these are things that, that I've learned over these nine years. And, and they're, they're just one sentence each. And, and I have them on a post-it note here on my desk. And I see them multiple times a day. And, and they work for me. I'm not going to say they work for, for everybody in your audience, but if one or two of them works for you, use them and, and maybe build on them in your own life. And, and so here, here's the, here they are. Number one is you need to control your mind or your mind is going to control you. You know, our brains are hardwired to avoid pain and discomfort and to seek pleasure. So, you know, if, if our, our brains don't like pain. But the only way we're ever going to grow is if we step outside our comfort zones. So we need to control our brains. I know when I was a, a, about 15 years old, I had a knee surgery because of a basketball injury. And when I went back playing, I remembered my brain was like, oh, hey, you're probably a step slower and coaches aren't going to want to recruit you to play in college. And I was like, no, wait a minute. I'm still playing at an elite level. And coaches are still contacting me about potentially getting a scholarship. So I had to change that narrative. I had to flip that to something positive. And if you think about it, our brains can hold one thought at a time. Why would you make that a negative thought? So that was the first one. The second one is one we already talked about. Embrace the pain and the difficulty that we all experience in life and use it to make you a stronger and more determined individual. As we just said, our brains are hardwired to avoid pain and discomfort. So we wanna run from pain, we wanna get away from it. But I'm suggesting just the opposite. What if you took that pain and you flipped it inside and you burned it as fuel or used, as, used it as energy to make you a stronger and more determined individual? You can do it because I did it, I, I do it every day. And I'm no better, you know, I'm no, no Superman. I, I'm just a normal person like everybody else. You have to make the decision to, instead of running from it, use it to make you a better person. So that's number two. Number three is more of a legacy truth. And I think it's important for all of us to kind of think about the end of our lives, the end game. And this is number three. What you leave behind is what you weave in the hearts of other people. So, you know, think about now, especially if people are young, think about what are people going to say about you at your funeral? 
you know, would your ancestors be proud of the life that you have lived? You know, your ancestors set the table for you, you know, now it's time for you to set the table for future generations and things like that. So I think it's real important for us to sort of think about the end game. That's number three. And number four is pretty self-explanatory. As long as you don't quit, you can never be defeated. You know, my pain is going to end someday. It may end because of surgery. It may end because of medication. Quite frankly, it may end when I die. But if I quit, if I give up, if I give in to pain, pain will always be a part of my life. Mm. Yeah. So how did you basically overcome your fear of treatment or side effects? I think I just faced them. You know, I think I used that fear and turned it inside. And, you know, there, when I first started my clinical trial at the very beginning, um, I, I was at the hospital many times from six o'clock in the morning till sometimes, you know, eight, nine, 10 o'clock at night. And, and I was constantly getting blood draws, you know, so an, an hour after I received the drug, I have to have a blood draw, then two hours, then three hours, then four. There were days I was at the hospital that I got stuck with a needle 18, 19, 20 times. And, you know, I, I love my nurses, but I always, you know, I kind of look at a nurse, you know, that's sticking you with a needle and like, am I hurting you? Well, it doesn't tickle, you know, so I, I kind of laugh with them. And it's like, no, the, yeah, it hurts, but but I'm going to take that hurt. I'm going to take that pain. And I know it's going to come again in an hour and in two hours and in three hours and in four hours. So instead of running from this, use it to make you stronger. You know, that that's, I guess that's the only way I can answer your question. Yeah. So what would be your message to other cancer patients and caregivers? You can do more than you ever thought you could do. I, I recall a, uh, a study that I read about back in the 1950s that was done at a university here in the United States called Johns Hopkins. And it was a very simple study. This professor took rats and he put them in a tank of water that was over their head. And he wanted to see how long the rats could tread water before they drowned. And the average rat treaded water for about 15 minutes. And right when they were getting ready to sink to the bottom and drown, he reached in and grabbed them and pulled them out, dried them off, let them rest for a while. And then he put them back in that exact same tank of water. And the second time around, those rats treaded water for 60 hours. Now think about that. The first time, oh, all I can do is 15 minutes and I'm going to drown. And the second time, I treaded water for 60 hours, which said to me two things. One, the importance of hope in our lives. We've got to have hope. We've got to have the belief that things are going to get better, that you know we're going to move towards something that's better for us in our lives. And two, how much more our physical bodies are capable of doing. You know, we, we get to a point where it's like, I don't think I can go on. Well, if you don't think you can go on, the, there's a branch of the military or part of the military here in the United States called the Navy SEALs, and they have what they call their 40% rule. And what that says is it kind of dovetails with the story of the rats, is that if you're at the end of your rope and you don't think you can go on, you're only at 40% of your maximum, and you still have another 60% left to give to yourself. 
So if you ever get in that situation where, you know, I, I'm just, I'm too tired. I'm too, I hurt too much. I'm too, I, you're only at 40% of your maximum. You have so much more left to give to yourself. So don't ever think you're out of the fight just because you're hurting or you're tired or you're down or anything like that. You have so much more to give to yourself. Find that, what that is inside of you, find where it is, pull it out and use it for yourself. Yes. Absolutely. So what do you think are the stigmas attached to cancer and the importance of awareness for it? Yeah, there, there's a lot of stigma. There's a lot of, as, as I mentioned, you know, my neighbors who that I don't want to talk about it. You know, that's something I don't want to think about. I, I think um, we all, you know, who have cancer, because it's not, you know, I mean, for some of you, I, I hope it goes away. I, I hope you go into remission and things like that. But for the rest of us that are living with it every day, Instead of, you know, having a stigma, what if we did the opposite? What if we became ambassadors for cancer? You know, what if we said, okay, you know, I'm going to live my life in such a way that, you know, I mean, you're looking at me right now, you know, from here up, I, I look very healthy. I, I look very normal. You know, I'm on this podcast with you telling people, you know, you can do more than you think you can do. Use pain to make you a better person and things like that. But from here down, I don't have a leg and I've got all these scars. And, you know, we kind of I kind of look at my body sometimes and I do. It, it's all scarred up. It's scarred. I have scar tissue all around my abdomen for the five years of injections of the interferon. I have a big scar that in my groin where my lymph nodes were removed. You know, I, I don't have a leg. I have a scar there. But I, the way I look at it is I've earned those scars. You know, I went through hell, pardon my French to get those scars. So I've earned them. And so I'm going to be proud of them. Instead of, you know, having the stigma, what if we were ambassadors for, for cancer? What if people looked at, at, at us and said, you know, hey, that person's living with cancer and they're living a good life. You know, it's, it's not a, oh my gosh, I, I hope I never have to do that. It's like, you know, yeah, I hope I never have to do that. But if I have to do that, I want to live like that person. I want to live my life to the best of my ability to the what, you know, with whatever faculties or deficits or whatever that I have. And I've been asked, people have asked me, you know, what was it like to have your leg amputated and your foot amputated? And, I, and I've always told them that, you know, cancer can take whatever physical portions of my body that it needs to. You know, you can cut off every limb that I have, but cancer can't touch my heart. It can't touch my soul and it can't touch my mind. And it can't touch yours either. It, it, you know, that's who we really are. This is just a body or a vessel that who we are is contained in. So remember that this is not us. Us is our mind, our hearts, our souls. Remember that. And let's be ambassadors for cancer. Mm, yeah. So what is that one act of kindness that you will never forget? That's a great question. Um, I, I just, I, I can't say enough about the nurses that, that take care of me in the effusion center. They are so, they're, and, and I know you're just looking for one, but I'm going to kind of make it a blanket, you know, statement that they're always looking to take you out of pain, to take you out of discomfort. And, you know, like I said, I, I was crying the other day and, and a nurse just came in, didn't say anything, just put her arm around me. And, and I will always remember that. That just made me, you know, it was just that little touch of, 
hey, we're here. It's okay. You know, we're going to get through this. But, you know, instead of, you know, saying, oh, woe is me, do that to somebody else. You know, get out there and, and put your arm around somebody. Get out there and listen to somebody. Get out there and let somebody cry on your shoulder and stuff like that. And, 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 and again, being, being an ambassador for this, I, I think is a whole lot better than feeling sorry for yourself and, and, you know, and letting people, you, you know, feel sorry for you. It, it doesn't get you anywhere. My grandmother used to always say that worry is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it doesn't get you anywhere. Same thing with feeling sorry for yourself. You know, sorry, feeling sorry for yourself is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it doesn't get you anywhere in life. Yeah. So one thing on your bucket list? One thing on my bucket list. That's a great question. I mean, I, I don't I, I don't have very many regrets in life. I, I had a very full life. I had a lot of jobs. I did a lot of things. Got to meet a lot of people. I, I don't know. There's a there's a a baseball field here in the United States that's that a farmer basically carved out of his cornfield. And it, it's a big tourist attraction. And and dads go there with their sons or their daughters and play catch. And I, I think if I it's a simple thing, but I think I'd love to go there and just play catch with my daughter. And um, that, that that's my bucket list. Yeah. So how do you basically help others? By doing these, I, you know, podcasts, you know, my wife and I kind of have a, an ongoing, um, I'll, I'll call it a dispute. You know, I have these two weeks off between therapy and my wife is like, you know, you need to rest. You need you know, time to have your blood counts come back and rebound and things like that. And I'm like, no, I want to go on podcasts and I want to, you know, tell my story and see where I can help people and things like that. And so, you know, we, we can't, she's like, okay, you can only do, you know, no more than two podcasts a day. And when, when I end up scheduling four or five, you know, we kind of have this ongoing dispute and it, it upsets her. But for me, these energize me, you know, they, they give me a purpose. And I think as long as you have a purpose, you're going to live a lot longer. My sister-in-law is a, is a nurse. And, you know, we've talked a lot about different, you know, you know, should I do this therapy? Should I do that? You know, have these therapies helped me live longer? And she said to me one day, she said, you know, maybe it's none of that stuff. Maybe it's just your attitude. Maybe it's just the fact that, you know, this is your purpose and my doctor showed me my CAT scan results back in 2020 when I found out I had the tumors in my lungs and I had my, I was going to lose my leg. And I had, you know, fluid all around the pleural spaces in my lung. I had these big tumors in my lungs. And I looked at him and I'm like, how was I alive? And he was like, I have no idea. So what that tells me is that God's not done with me yet and, and that he wants me to be out here and and telling my story and trying to help people. And that when, when my time comes, you know, I was kind of joke, you know, when my, when I die, that's that, that decision when and where and how that happens way above my pay grade. So I don't spend a lot of time worrying about it because whenever it happens, I'll be ready for it. Yeah. So basically how do you reward yourself when you achieve any goal? I, by setting another goal, you know, I like, okay, I achieved this, this is, you know, and again, that gives me strength, that gives me purpose. And so when I achieve a goal, 
I said another one. Okay, you know, let's let's stretch a little bit because that's that's again, you know, there there was a movie here in the United States. You it may have you may have seen it. It was called The Shawshank Redemption, and it had a great quote in it. And it was like it was get busy living or get busy dying. You know, if you're not if you're not stretching, if you're not living, if if you know if you're not doing things that make you happy and and that make other people happy then you're dying. If you're just going through the motions, doing the same thing every day, that's not living. You know, and, and, and a lot of times when I go to therapy, I always tell my doctor, I'm like, okay, this is, this is not dying. This is not, you know, that's all this is. This is not dying. It's not living. You know, when my daughter got married, I remember kind of just sitting back and, and watching all these people that were having fun and, and dancing and, you know, enjoying good food and, and fellowship and, and friendship. And I, I remember just kind of sitting back thinking, yeah, you know, th- that's living. You know, what I'm doing is not dying. And, and there's a big difference. You know, there really is a big difference between living and not dying. And I want to spend as little time as possible in that not dying mode and as much time as possible in that living mode. Yeah. So what are the things you appreciate or love about yourself? I, I think I'd go back to the story I told you about the scars. I, I mean, whenever I see those scars, I, I'm like, you know what? You went through hell to get them. Be proud of them. You know, don't be like, oh, gee, I lost my leg. Oh, gee, I lost my foot. Oh, I've got these tumors. Oh, I've got these scars. Yeah. You know what? Yeah, I got through that and I'm a better person for it. I'm a stronger person because of it. So I, I am, you know, I'm excited when I see those things. It's, I don't say, oh, gee, my body's ugly. I mean, some people may say that, but to me, it's like, yeah, it may be ugly to you, but hey, I've earned every single one of those things that you think is ugly. So if you have to sum up your journey in one sentence, then what would that be? I'll sum it up in one word, resilient. You know, you're, you're, you're not, you're not going to stop me. I'm, I'm going to keep coming. I, I'm going to keep doing things that, you know, are in my best interest. And like I said, when it's my time to die, then it's my time to die. And I don't fear death because I feel that I found my purpose in life and I lived it. And there, there's a Native American Blackfoot proverb here in the United States that goes like this. When you were born, you cried and the world rejoiced. Live your life. And that's the important part of this quote. Live your life so that when you die, the world cries and you rejoice. That's what I want. When it's when it's the end of my life, I want to rejoice. Like, yeah, okay, let's see what's on the other side of this because this life has been great. I, yeah, I've had cancer. Yeah, there's been some tough times, but this cancer has made me a better person. Yeah. So Zen Oncolot.io works towards the betterment of cancer patients, like through integrated oncology approach. So what are your thoughts on the same, on what we are doing in terms of patient care? Say that one more time, please. Zen Oncolot.io, like our platform, it basically works uh, towards the betterment of cancer patients through integrated oncology approach. So what are your thoughts on the same? Yeah, I... Like I said, I, I, I would, you know, if I could make a perfect world, I would spend, you know, I would have doctors and clinicians spend more time on this side of cancer. You know, it, it, it's easy to, you know, to, to sit there and say, okay, the science says this. 
but I am much more than science. You know, I, I'm, a, I'm a human being with, with emotions and people who love me and people who I love. So I, I, I wish, you know, a, a lot of times I think doctors, I don't necessarily think my doctor, I think he kind of gets it. But, you know, there are, it's like, you know, I'm having a bad day. And, and, and I have found that my, my treatments are much more difficult for me. And I don't know if this is, you know, based on science or if it's just coincidence since I got the COVID shot, since I've, got, I've been vaccinated for COVID-19. And it just makes the treatments harder. And I said that to my doctor, you know, and he kind of looks at me and he's like, do you want to quit? He, he knows I'll never quit, you know, and, and it's like, no, I don't want to quit. I'm just telling you that this is harder. And again, you know, if it was easy in anything in life, if it was easy, everybody would do it. The hard is what makes it good. The hard is what should tell you, you know what, I got through this. I, I survived this. You know, I, I, I'm a better person for it. So I guess I just wish people would, uh, the clinical people would understand more what the patients go through. And, you know, I'm all for science. I'm all for, I, I, I mean, I kind of look at myself as a guinea pig. You know, this, this drug isn't going to save my life, but maybe it's going to save somebody else's life. And if that's the case, then my life will have even more meaning. Yes. So your story is really inspiring, Teddy. So, and I definitely hope that the messages you gave today, it will definitely instill uh, strength among a lot of cancer patients who are still fighting this battle. So, and I hope that this session really motivates people out there who are traveling or who have traveled through this journey. So it was lovely having you here today on this session with us. So thank you so much for your valuable time. Well, thank you for having me. I, I always say that it's nice people like you that allow me to come on and tell my story. And hopefully between our conversation, we're going to make a difference in the life of at least one person. And if we do that, today's been a good day. Yes, definitely. Thank you. Thank you.